From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Hi, I'm Vern Jewett, and this is the Holiness Podcast. We welcome you to our monthly Bible study on the subject of scriptural holiness. I would like to begin this month with a brief word of prayer. Dear Lord, may your word be our rule and your Holy Spirit our teacher and your greater glory our supreme concern. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, it is Tuesday of Holy Week today as we are recording this podcast and Bible study. I realize that it won't be Holy Week when you are listening to this, but it is appropriate that we have chosen a text and a passage of Scripture and a theme that Jesus focused upon and taught to his disciples during his last week of life, during this very week we are celebrating. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. And the theme of this podcast is abiding in Jesus. Now, you'll know that in the original manuscripts of our letters in the New Testament and of the Gospels, there were not chapters and verses. They were uh, written, and you would read through them, and sometimes the chapter divisions uh, come in just the wrong places. But they were added in about the 11th century. Uh, I would like us to begin with the verse just before, and... Jesus has finished having the Passover meal that we call the Last Supper with his disciples. He has done a good bit of teaching. In the Gospel of John, there are almost four chapters which describe his teaching that last evening he would spend with his disciples. And then all of a sudden he says, Come now, let us leave. And with those words, Jesus calls his disciples to leave the upper room and go with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Going on, we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. That's the word abide. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides or remains in me, and I in him, 
he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. So they leave the upper room and head toward the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. Now, in order to get to the garden, Jesus and his disciples had to leave the southwest corner of the old city of Jerusalem on the side of Mount Zion. That's where the upper room was located, and wind their way across the Triopoion Valley, around the outer walls of old Jerusalem, go up through the Kidron Valley, and finally up to Gethsemane's Garden. Now what's interesting is that this path took them past many vineyards that were tended around the outskirts of Jerusalem in that time. In the bright light of the full Passover moon, the vineyards would have been quite visible. I'm wondering if Jesus, as he often did in his earthly ministry, once again used whatever was at hand to illustrate the truths he wanted to instill in his followers. As Jesus and his disciples walked together, the vineyards they passed became the basis for one of his most profound and important teachings, the discourse we know as the vine and the branches. Jesus has already turned his steps toward the cross. He has only a few hours in which to impart a few last words of instruction to his friends. And so he begins, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He doesn't want to be misunderstood, so he explains the symbolism in very clear terms. When he says, I am the true vine, he is contrasting himself with the well-known symbol of the vine that is used in the Old Testament as a symbol for Israel. For example, in Psalm 88, the psalmist says, You brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You see, when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, he's not saying that Israel is the false vine. He's saying that he is the reality, the true vine, of which Israel was only a symbol, a picture. So we're going to briefly look at three truths about this teaching of Jesus on abiding in him. This place that is a home for every Christian, abiding in Christ.
the functional theological equivalent of this for the Apostle Peter is his teaching in 2 Peter 1.4, where he says that we are partakers of the divine nature. To abide in Christ and him abiding in us is the functional equivalent of Paul's theme in Christ, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That theme was so prominent, it's used 164 times in one or more of its fashions in his letters. I remember General Clarence Wiseman, a humble, beautiful Christian leader in the Salvation Army. Some 40 years ago, we were out at Camp Grandview in North Georgia and holding a family congress and General Wiseman would move in and among people and talking to everyone. Not like a politician kissing babies and hoping for votes, but genuinely reaching out in kindness and a beautiful Christian spirit. I remember most that he said in one of his messages to us, he was convinced that this picture, I am the vine, ye are the branches, is the primary metaphor of the church in the New Testament. Now, he didn't want to negate or downplay at all the picture we often talk about of the body of Christ as the church. But this picture is powerful. Let's observe uh, these three truths about abiding in Christ. This place of permanent residence for a Christian, we're talking about how a Christian who is in right relationship with God, which means they are living a set-apart or holy life, they find this place of permanent residence to be a place of sustenance. It's their lifeline, actually. Now, I can talk a little bit about gardening, but not much more than a little bit. I remember my very first garden. I was in graduate school, and Martha and I had recently married, and we lived in our first home, which was a little trailer out uh, in the reaches of uh, a rural area in Kentucky, and our landlord helped us plant my first garden. I remember planting the seeds, all kinds of seeds. We grew all kinds of things. But some of the seeds began to burst and emerge from the ground and then grow along the ground. And I realized that they were the vine. And as the vines of these particular plants began to grow, there came little buds and then fruit which began to grow that were attached to little branches on the vine. And so in wonder I watched my first watermelons and cucumbers and melons and other uh, grants that uh, other plants and, and vegetables that grew on vines come into being before my very eyes. They were connected, and it was the life from the vine constantly nurturing 
that grew these beautiful fruits and vegetables in that first garden. Now, we can only touch on the richness of this picture in these few minutes out of this passage in John. But the relationship between the vine and the branches is the key to Jesus' teaching. And that relationship is that we abide in him and he abides in us. The word abiding is translated by many other words, all giving nuanced meanings of the very same idea. Abiding, staying, continuing, living, dwelling, remaining. Did you notice that Jesus referred to the branches that bore fruit and to those that do not bear fruit? You see, it's possible for so-called Christians to produce plenty of foliage but no fruit. My son is now a farmer, and he has explained this to me many times. But a so-called Christian could have a life that looks good on the surface, but he has no beneficial influence on the world around him. You can have a beautiful tree that doesn't bear any fruit. The gardener wants not just leaves, but also flowers, and the farmer want more. The horticulturists want more. They want fruit. So a beautiful tree without fruit is the picture of a lifeless and defeated Christian. The fruit farmer who only has lots of lovely green teas goes bankrupt. And the Christian who gets new life and some measure of growth in understanding of the faith, but doesn't produce any of the fruit of the Spirit, can easily become a bankrupt soul. Friends, if we are to bear fruit, we must be united to the vine. It is our sustenance. Jesus is our lifeline. Verse 5, you remember, said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Our union with Christ is through the presence of his Holy Spirit, whom he gave to us. In fact, just verses before chapter 15, Jesus says back in chapter 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And just after our passage and the description, if you go to chapter 16, you find the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he explains all the things the Spirit of truth is going to do. Remember, this is one teaching. And so our union and abiding and remaining in Christ as our lifeline is through the Holy Spirit and through his word which he gave us. Secondly, this place of permanent residence is a place of cleansing. Now I think the word for abiding 
is found 11 times in the verses that we read. Two times, though, the verb for being cleansed, the word for being cleansed and the word clean in verses 2 and 3 are used. You may remember, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, he says, because of the word I have spoken to you. A place of cleansing. It's interesting, those of you who know the Gospel of John know that there are a series of teachings in the first half of the gospel, the great I am sayings. And successively, Jesus has taught them, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. And then finally, as they're nearing Gethsemane, he teaches them, I am the vine. He teaches them there are two kinds of branches. Fruitless branches and fruitful branches. Which means, of course, there's two kinds of believers. Fruitless and fruitful. The difference is the difference between night and day. The first work of the Father in this great vineyard is to prune the vine so that it will bear fruit. The matter of pruning is a very important one to farmers and to gardeners. Ray Stedman wrote a wonderful commentary on John. He was a pastor in Northern California, and he describes his experience. He says, I spent most of my years of pastoral ministry in a place where there were many vineyards. At a certain time of the year, the vine keepers cut off what they call sucker shoots from the vines. They're branch-like canes of vine which do not bear fruit. Actually, there are many commentators who speak of these sucker shoots. They sap the life of the vine and reduce the amount of water and nutrient that reaches the fruit, and the goal of pruning vines is to direct as much water and nutrient to the fruit as possible to increase the quality and quantity of fruit. Friends, it's not difficult to understand the meaning of the Lord's analogy, especially in light of what has just taken place in the band of Jesus' disciples. At the Last Supper, one fruitless branch has already been removed. Judas Iscariot. The pruning of his disciples from 12 to 11 in number was the work of God. You see, within the congregation of our churches, there appear time to time men and women who appear to be believers, but who never become fruitful members or branches. They seem to give evidence of life just as Judas did when he did miracles in Jesus' name along with the other 11 but they've never borne true fruit, and they never will. It's the Father's task to remove them. When John wrote his first letter, 
he talks about such people. They went out from among us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. This pruning of the vine has taken place again and again through the history of the church, and it continues to take place today. But notice that the Father not only prunes the unproductive branches off the vine, he also trims the productive branches so they will be even more productive. This manner of pruning is part of my life at this very moment. The time has come when I am pruning the bushes, many of them out of control, uh, in my backyard at home. General Bramwell Tilsley loved this passage and often taught about this metaphor. And he talked about pruning. He said, God prunes our spiritual lives. What he prunes are not necessarily sinful. They may be good things. But he's cutting back on what doesn't produce growth. I heard him teach about this several times, and every time I was convicted as he started asking questions about what in our lives is producing only leaves but not fruit. He talked about hobbies. The last time I heard him speak was in 2013, down in Fort Lauderdale, where he was doing a seminar holiness, using a seminar on holiness, using this picture in this passage, and he asked us about the internet. He said that night, if the devil can't get you to avoid being converted, he'll do everything he can to get you diverted. That's why pruning takes place. Useless branches are removed. Good branches are improved. There's a wonderful progression here. This place of permanent residence, this abiding in Christ, is a place where we grow. If you look carefully or listened carefully, you would have noticed that disciples go from no fruit to producing fruit to more fruit and, and eventually to much fruit. The third observation I want to make about this place of permanent residence is that it is a place of spiritual fruitfulness. Verse 7, you recall from the reading, says, If you remain in me and I remain in you, Jesus says, you can ask what you will and it will be given you. That's reserved for those who abide in Christ. God never intended for his children to live defeated lives. Can you see that in this picture? God never, never intended for his children, and that includes you and me, to live a life characterized by defeat. Not in our thought lives, our emotions, our attitudes, our self-control. Certainly not in our faith. He paid much too high a price to allow you and me into his family just to watch us fail in our attempts to function. 
as family members. God's plan of salvation includes a provision for saving us from ourselves. And that key player in that part of his plan, you know, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's answer to the problem and challenge of righteous living. He is the abiding presence of Christ and his life in you. That's why in Galatians 2.20 he could say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He understood that upon receiving the Holy Spirit, he was given a source of power and strength that could bring his character into line with God's righteous desires and standards. Paul knew, as we must come to know, that he never had to say, well, I'd like to change, but that's just the way I am. No, Paul understood that a spirit-indwelt child of God, just as John understood, has potential and is made for change. And that change is not contingent upon you and me, but upon the new life that flows through us, through his spirit. Now, I've been a pastor for a long time. I know many of you are probably thinking, well, Vern, I've tried to change, and I can't. I've been told that many times. Usually I quickly say, exactly. You and I can't change. We're not equipped to produce change, only to bear it. This truth from John 15 is remarkably important and poignant in our lives. It is the new life we have in Christ with his spirit in our hearts that produces change. We're simply the vehicle through which it is expressed. Just like a branch is the vehicle through which the fruit-producing life of the vine is expressed. Here's the lesson. You are a bearer, not a producer. You can't produce fruit. You can only bear fruit. Branches are totally dependent on the vine for fruit. Because the vine and abiding in it, that as their permanent residence, is a place of sustenance, a place of cleansing, and a place of spiritual fruitfulness. But the Holy Spirit is the change agent. Change is what he's all about. He took a man who made his living destroying churches and changed him into the greatest church planter of all time. He took a group of uneducated fishermen and changed them into world-class evangelists and pastors. Down through the centuries, he has indwelt men and women with every imaginable habit, reputation, and persuasion and changed them into people living powerfully for Christ through the Holy Spirit. And he will do the same for you and for me. What a wonderful work it is. You and I are the recipient of the life-producing change-rendering work of the Holy Spirit. He produces 
I bear. You may remember Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who is at work? God, through the Holy Spirit. Friends, radical change is possible. In fact, it's God's plan for us. We have everything we need to become all he wants us to become. By abiding in him and him in us, we have the potential to produce a consistent harvest of fruit, the kind that makes even, un, even skeptical unbelievers sit up and take notice. Our part is simply to stay, remain, plugged in to the new life that indwells us. We are to draw upon his life in us. Now, I'd like to go back to where we began. It is possible for a so-called Christian to produce plenty of foliage, but no fruit. His life looks good on the surface, but has no beneficial influence on the world around him. You can have a beautiful tree that bears no fruit. The gardener wants not just leaves, but also flowers. And the farmer and horticulturist want even more. They want fruit. What a picture. I want to share with you two songs from my youth growing up in the church who have their theme built upon our lesson in this podcast. Here's the first one. I expect those of you who are more seasoned might recognize the words to this one. The master is seeking a harvest. In lives he's redeemed by his blood. He seeks for the fruit of the Spirit and works that glorify God. He looks for his likeness reflected in lives that are yielded and true. He looks for zeal in the morning, in the winning of souls. He's entrusted to you. He's yearning for someone to carry the life-giving word far and near. He's waiting for hearts that are willing, willing for ears that are open to hear. But here's the chorus. It's the tragedy of this teaching. Nothing but leaves for the master. Oh, how his loving heart grieves when instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. That song was written in 1951. By the time I was a teenager in the church, we would sing it sometimes on Sunday. What haunting words, but what truth taken from our passage of Scripture. Nothing but leaves for the Master. Oh, how his loving heart grieves when instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. The fruit farmer who only has lots of green trees grows bankrupt. You remember? 
but the Christian who gets new life can bear fruit by being united to the vine. If we are to bear fruit, we must be abiding to Christ. Listen to this psalm. Again, you seasoned Christians will probably remember it. There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave, a peace it cannot take away. Though the trials of my life may surround like a cloud, I have a peace that has come here to stay. And then you sing, constantly abiding. Jesus is mine. Constantly abiding. Rapture divine. He never leaves me lonely, whispers, oh, so kind, I will never leave thee, Jesus is mine. Beautiful song. <laughs> Those of you who remember it will remember uh, the tune, the lilting tune of the refrain, constantly abiding. Jesus is mine. And it comes right from John 15. Abiding in Christ. So let's conclude. Here is the promise from Jesus. One of his very last teachings to his disciples. Only hours before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This permanent residence of the Christian is a place of sustenance. It is our spiritual lifeline. It is a place of cleansing and pruning. Sometimes difficult, but that's what makes us grow in Christ. And it's a place of spiritual fruitfulness. You will bear fruit. It's a wonderful picture that I hope speaks to your heart as it speaks to mine today. We are given the privilege of abiding, remaining, living continuously in Christ as he through his spirit lives in us. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of holy living that we will find in the New Testament. And it's one of the most beautiful things you and I can give in the name of Jesus to those around us. May God bless you. I pray that this lesson has found a resting place in your heart and that the Lord will continue to use his word to draw us close to him. And that as we continue this week, you'll be thinking about it in the past as you're listening. This holy week where we celebrate and remember the death, sacrifice, but most of all, the life-changing resurrection of Jesus 
that we will indeed become people who abide in him every moment of every day. Well, this is the Holiness Podcast, and we invite you to join us next month. We will be talking about a passage that uh, has some, some ancillary meanings to this one. And we hope that you join us in the meantime. God bless you and be with you. And we'll see you again. Thanks so much for listening. And we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.